What if you could see into the mind of your therapist? In this podcast, Dana and Beth will let you in to see the inner workings of two therapist minds. Listen to this week's episode, sit back and relax and get your coping skills turned all the way on with the mind grind. Disclaimer, this is not therapy and not a therapy substitute. It's important to remember that we're speaking in generalizations, hoping that this content is relatable and helpful. Please check Psychology Today and check your insurance card for your nearest mental health provider for individualized support. Hey guys, and welcome back to The Mind Grind. I am very lucky today. I actually get to sit next to Dana, like literally right next to her. So close, we can touch. We were like clapping. Nobody can see us us. because of COVID and and regulations and traveling and life just happening. Like we haven't been near each other, so the world has really officially changed. And uh, here we are. Here we are. So we have a couple questions to start you guys off on today's episode. So how do you respond when you fail? How do you respond when you feel hurt, left out, or rejected? Is any of that being triggered lately with life reopening? Are you quick to judge yourself? Compare yourself to others? Do you find yourself often in negativity? So the reason we're asking you guys these questions today is because last week we talked a bit about mindfulness or a lot about mindfulness. (laughs) It's a really important topic to Dana and I both. And we want to build on some of those skills. But one of the things that so many humans do, us included, everyone included, is we're going to have these judgmental thoughts. But some of us are more prone to get really tied into, hooked into self-criticism type of thinking. And so we just want to ask you these questions just because if you're saying, yes, like I do that, I judge myself, I often feel FOMO, I feel left out. You know, the the question, you know, I want you to ask yourself is like, is that something that affects your life, right? Is that something that you want to work on? One of the ways that we can work on this is through self-care and self-compassion, which are our topics for the day. So not everybody understands the difference between self-care and self-compassion. So Dana is going to take us into understanding what these are. Yes. Thank you. Welcome. (laughs) So just reviewing mindfulness a bit. We did focus our episode on mindfulness last week, but for maybe those of you who missed it, uh, just a brief little... um, like recap. Recap. Yes, yeah. exactly. The word that I was looking for. A brief recap is really that mindfulness is being present moment aware, right? So aware of our thoughts and our feelings without judgment, distraction, and reactions. And it really focuses primarily on acceptance of the experience itself. So accepting where we're at, how we're feeling, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Self-compassion Right. So self-compassion is regarding yourself compassionately. So this is self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness is part of that. And self-care is treating yourself compassionately for actions and behaviors. So it's like an activity to refill or refuel yourself in a healthy way. And something that's really important to note is that self-care is kind of like the doing, while self-compassion is kind of the thinking. Mm. So Again, really understanding that distinction is important. Well, and you need the mindfulness piece, which you're going to talk a little bit about. You need these, all three of these things, mindfulness, self-care, and self-compassion really go hand in hand. Yeah. So exactly. Given that mindfulness is a core component 
of self-compassion, it's kind of worth asking, how do mindfulness and self-compassion relate to one another? So self-compassion focuses more on caring for the experiencer. So that's like myself, right? When I'm having these judgmental thoughts, self-compassion is being a little less critical on myself and not judging myself for having these negative or self-critical thoughts. Mindfulness asks, what am I experiencing right now? While self-compassion asks, what do I need right now? Let's give the listeners an example. So like Yeezy, Dana's lovely dog. (laughs) Who barks all the time. (laughs) Barks all the time. So the mindful experience is that we're sitting here together and every now and then we hear a sound of a dog barking, right? Yeah. And not even just like a sound, like growl, like a shrill attack (laughs) and crazy noises. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, you know, then there's like also our own visceral response to that cue. Right. Frustration, irritation, concern that maybe something is wrong. Yeah, that's that's after irritation and frustration. (laughs) Right. So what would then self-compassion look like, Dana? Oh, Yeezy came. Hi, Yeezy. (laughs) Yeezy's back. So self-compassion would maybe be like, you know what? He's a dog and I'm allowed to feel frustrated Hmm. because I care about him so much. Yeah. And as soon as he comes back in, like, you're going to be fine because he's yeah. so cute. But I think, right, self-compassion is is thinking about how this affects you and how you can be a little kinder to yourself given that this situation's happening. Yeah. But self-care would be, what would be the self-care in this situation? Self-care would probably be the next time we record, I'm going to put him in daycare. Because <laughs> <laughs> I need some space. Away from the barks. But no, I think I think for real, it's actually a really good example because yeah. I think that if we're using Yeezy for this example, right, when it happens, it's actually really, it can be really irritating and frustrating and I get aggravated, maybe like yell or like, what's wrong with you? Stop barking, right? Like I'm getting right. annoyed. And then he comes back in and he's all lovable and he's licking my face. Right. And then I judge myself like, wow, Dana, like you were so harsh towards Yeezy, mm-hmm. right? And like, you were so mean and like, he didn't, mean anything and he's a dog and he can't help it and so I need to kind of check in and be like you know what I'm a human Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to be frustrated because that's okay and I don't need to judge myself and then beat myself up and say that I'm the worst dog mom ever touche so yeah I like that you put in that example right there one last thing right mindfulness says feel your suffering with spacious awareness and self-compassion says be kind to yourself when you suffer and so Mm -hmm. that's kind of another presentation of the Mm -hmm. example that we just shared. Right. And I think we're going to, we're going to get into some examples because, you know, self-care without self-compassion can get, it can get into um, some territory that I think we see nowadays on social media or kind of, you know, in sitcoms and TV shows where people, they think, you know, you can't just be like self-care and call everything self-care. I I don't know if, you know, people have seen Parks and Recreation, but the the treat yourself, treat yourself, you know, mentality, which is like, it's great, but you know, one without the other doesn't really work either. You know? Right. It's that you're not practicing mindfulness if right. you're not practicing self-compassion along with self-care. Right. Like, and if you go right for self-compassion, but you're not being mindful, you might not be cueing into yourself. You might be cueing into maybe other people or yeah, what, everybody like what the else world wants. needs. Yeah. But what about what is it that you need? Yeah, right? that's a good point. And, and I think that a good example that I always like to share in my sessions when it comes to the difference between self-care and self-compassion in regards to my own experience, uh, maybe other people can relate, but I think 
as we're talking, right? Self-care is kind of like, we always hear wants versus needs, right? Mm -hmm. So self-care is like what I want to do, right? And so like a lot of us think about self-care, like Beth was saying in these, these ways to practice self-care that like quick fixes are like, yeah, like material or expensive or quick right. fixes or things that we think mm-hmm. are self-care because that's what we learn or we see. It's like, oh, well, like going to get a massage, that's self-care. Right. Right. And so it's stuff that like a lot of times in our minds, it's like, we want that, right? Self-compassion is like what I need. And so my example that I like to share with people is exercise. I think that that's a a self-care activity that I learned from a very young age. Every time I felt stressed out or I needed to clear my mind or I wanted time to myself or time like with myself, I would go for a run or go to the gym or do these things because that felt really good for my body. And I would leave also feeling invigorated. However, what ended up happening for me is that my body would feel exhausted. And I think we talked about like that mind-body connection, right? I wasn't being mindful and I wasn't practicing self-compassion. And so my body would feel exhausted. And so even when I was exhausted, burnt out, tired, I would still work out. Mm. And that's not practicing self-compassion. And that's not practicing self-care in a healthy way, right? That's actually kind of harmful. Right. Like going and getting a massage or paying for some sort of treatment or something when, when your bank account is like in the zeros, like, yeah, it's a self-care activity, but like, if you're not being also compassionate to your finances and to other needs that you have, like you probably need food before you need that massage. Yeah. Right. And there are a lot of free activities also that we can do that I don't think get talked enough about. So good examples of self-care and Dana offered this example of working out. Like it can be a great self-care. In fact, we encourage working out. Yeah. Just don't do it if you're like, if you need to like hydrate. If you need to rest. (laughs) Self-care, getting outside, taking a break, drinking water, feeding yourself good food, stretching, breathing practices, pampering, time with friends, family, and then like a lot of de-stimulating activities, reading a book listening to music, taking a bath, lighting a candle, right? Like yeah, doing- Cooking, baking, yes. sitting on the Hobbies. couch, clipping your toenails. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I just got like an imagery of that. That's like kind of therapeutic. Yeah, right? you No, know, anything that is also just doing nothing. I think sometimes, and, and I want to acknowledge, like we were talking about this a little bit before recording, like if you're a type A person, or like if you're someone who is maybe an, an introvert, like you might need more de-stimulating activities to calm you down, to like bring you to baseline. But if you're like a type B person and you're really laid back or you're like an extrovert and like, you know, people really fuel you, you might find that like putting some of your energy out in a more stimulating way is actually helpful. Like doing something that requires some adrenaline could be self-care for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And that kind of incorporates why mindfulness is super important because if you don't know what you're like, right. Or you don't know, am I an introvert or am I an extrovert? Or I don't know what is soothing for me that is helpful. And what is kind of like, I don't want, I don't love to use the word excuse, but I think a lot of times we can use self-care as an excuse right? Like, yes, well, I need a break. So I'm just going to sit home and relax all day. And it's like, well, if you're that type B person who is staying in often and and relaxing and watching TV, maybe a way to actually energize yourself and give your, your mind and your body what you need is, is to 
set your alarm on the weekend at 10 a.m. or 9.30 a.m. and like take a 15 minute walk, right? And actually like stimulate your brain, kind of like Beth was saying. Yeah, and I even think for myself, like I'm probably the type of person who needs, you know, de-stimulating activities, but every now and then, something that is more adrenaline rush type can be great, but I can't do it in excess. Like I'm not gonna go paragliding like every weekend. Right. Not that I have the opportunity to do yeah, so. Yeah, I don't think many people <laughs> <laughs> Like roller coasters. I used to love roller coasters when I was a kid. Like I, you know, my body probably would not appreciate that as much today because it's like a little too stimulating. It's a little too like throwing my body around, which is just, maybe not as kind uh, as you get older, unfortunately. <laughs> the myth of self-care, which we're talking about, is like also this idea of like, you need to spend a lot of money, right? Yeah. Or you need to do something that is material. So people will often think like, oh, self-care, like I need to go and like get my nails done, or I have to go and spend a lot of money on a haircut, or I have to keep up with the something. Joneses kind of stuff. Yeah. If you're not doing it again with self-compassion in mind and you're not doing it really checking in with yourself, you could get resentful of that activity too. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, right? Without intention, like what is any action or behavior? There's something that I go over with my clients that I think is worth bringing up here and I didn't think of it until now. But when I'm explaining self-care to people, what I often do is I, I pull out a glass of water, usually like a half full glass of water. And I'll, I'll say to them that, imagine that this container, this, like, this glass is you and the water inside it is your energy that you're having for that day, right? And so depending on how you slept, if you had nightmares, if you woke up with a, a pain in your neck, like if you're already starting at like only 30% because you didn't sleep well, you're going to want even more self-care starting your day. So like how you start your morning is going to be important. And if you're rushing, that's going to decrease your self-care. If you get a good meal, that might increase it. If you get stuck in traffic, that might decrease it. Like I like to think of life as like an entire self-care activity where like it's going up and down all day, depending on what we're interacting with. Yeah. And if you think of it that way and you ask yourself realistically, like, what does my life look like? Am I, am I filling my cup or am I constantly getting my cup depleted? Now, some things we can't control. Like I can't control if I leave on time and I run into traffic, I can't control that. And I don't need to get angry or mad at anyone because like life happens. But if I'm starting off my day already in a deficit because I didn't give myself enough time to get ready, then I'm essentially, doing that to myself, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I like the way that you put it and I've never thought of it to explain it that way, um, but I think it's a really important way is that if you're constantly thinking about self-care kind of like a cycle, yes, right? And you're it's like a balance and you're, you're doing something and you're checking in and then you're kind of meeting yourself where you're at and doing something for yourself and again, checking in, you're able to kind of maintain like homeostasis. However, I think a lot of us going back to the myths, we think about self-care as this thing that happens like once a week on Thursday nights, right? right. Like I'm scheduling self-care mm -hmm. one time this weekend. And that's not really It's happening it all the time. It's happening all well, the time. Well, it can happen all the time right. if we make time for it. And I, but I think even like who you put yourself around, right? Like if you have a neighbor who is like really just 
they're kind of drain your energy. Like don't spend a lot of time around that neighbor, right? Because that's going to affect your self-care. Like, like we're so much more sensitive to the stimulation of living than we realize. Some people more so, some people less so. Just like start paying attention to like, how do things affect you? What kind of food affects your energy? Like how much water you're drinking affects your energy? Are you drinking too much coffee? Another myth that I think we just want to touch on is like, there's definitely, you know, American culture and I don't know, like life culture, it seems is like, you know, drinking is kind of our way to de-stress. And this can easily become a dangerous way to think because you're teaching yourself to reward yourself with alcohol or a substance every time you're stressed. Yeah. Like it can become a slippery slope. Now, most people can stay somewhere in the, I do this socially, I do this casually, I do it recreationally. But just being mindful of like even your substance use because alcohol has depressive and dissociative effects. Yeah. And I think that's a really good question to ask yourself even right now. Like what is that automatic thought? Right, when you are feeling stressed out or you need a break, right? You know what that feels like for you. Right. A lot of people do say, you know, like, oh, I need a drink right now. Or oh my gosh, I need food, sugar, yeah. cheese. Yeah. And that's an automatic thought that, you know, we've enabled, right? Or kind of like fed into for associating alcohol with like this way to de-stress when in fact it actually could be impacting your body and your mind, not such a positive way. We can spend future episodes talking about the impact of drugs and alcohol on our body and our brain. But the truth is, is that the next day, there's no way that you're feeling like rejuvenated after that drink. No, like I think that the question to ask yourself is if you fall in that camp and you realize like, yeah, I do. I reach for the cheese. I reach for the sugar. I reach for something to get me out of my head. What else could you be doing? And if you don't know, get to know yourself. Like absolutely take, this is the invitation to get to know yeah, yourself. Yeah, we're sending out invites. You're invites. all invited. You're all invited. <laughs> and you're going to yourself. <laughs> that is where we're going. So we're going to jump because we got caught. We got, <laughs> we just went there. So last week, those of you that listened to the mindfulness episode, and again, if you didn't, you can go ahead and see that after this. Sending out invites. Sending out another invite to our mindfulness episode. You listen to that. Basically what we talked about is how when we're in a hypervigilant or fight or flight mode, how it affects us long-term. And it has a lot of negative consequences. And so when you're living in a lot of criticism and self-judgment, going back to those questions at the beginning of our episode, do you feel rejected often? Do you feel a lot of FOMO often? Are you constantly thinking about your failures? If you are doing this, the reason you're doing this is because we have what's called a negativity bias. So we are all biologically wired to pay attention to the negative. And the more negative experiences you've had in life, especially like early on, it's almost like you're your ticker for negativity is is higher because your brain has been trained to be extra sensitive to potential threat. So this is great if you're in an actual dangerous situation, like someone's about to get by a car or you're in traveling and something feels off and you need to get out of a certain location. You see a bear. You see a bear, <laughs> right? And you're in the wild and you need to you need to run or hide or play dead or whatever. But in everyday life, we don't need to be in that negativity bias all the time. We don't want to get mad at it because it is a natural biological function, but you, we don't need to live by that. 
right? And so do you want to start noticing that if you have that self-critical mindset, just understanding like, okay, I probably have a really strong negativity bias and I need to have tools to work on this. And if your amygdala is getting triggered all the time, right? Which is going to happen if you're really critical. Emotional attacks can actually affect you the way physical attacks can affect you. Dana's just looking I'm at nodding. Yeah, you're nodding. Do you want to say anything about that? No, I mean, continue on. I'm, I'm loving continue it. on. So like, so someone, a boss or a coworker saying something that maybe is an inside joke, but in front of other people that wasn't maybe meant to be hurtful, but feels hurtful. That could feel to you in your body, almost like you just got slammed into like the wall. Yeah, I don't know if you ever experienced heartbreak, but if you have, some people relate that to like feeling like your heart got like ripped out of your chest. I mean, that is what can happen when your body is so hypervigilant all the time. So self-critical thoughts, that living in that criticism is going to do that. Yeah, we're both the attacker and the attacked. Dana, why don't you talk a little bit about why compassion is so important for our nervous system? Yeah, so when we're practicing self-compassion, we're tapping into our mammalian care system. And so if you think about a mammalian care system, this is kind of like a mother holding a child in a warm embrace and being compassionate to ourselves when we feel inadequate makes us feel safe and cared for. And so self-compassion helps to downregulate the threat response, right? So the threat response that Beth talked about, right, where we're activating our nervous system and we're feeling really stressed in our body and our mind dysregulated. Mm -hmm when we're practicing self-compassion, we're actually producing oxytocin, which increases feelings of trust, calm, safety, and connectedness. And we're actually activating our parasympathetic nervous system, which we talked about in our mindfulness episode. When we activate our parasympathetic nervous system, we're allowing ourselves to calm down, rest, digest, kind of like regulate ourselves so that we can think clearly all that kind of stuff. And oxytocin a feel is a feel-good chemical, an attachment chemical. Yeah, when it's released, which is really cool that our body is actually releasing a chemical when we practice yeah. saying something nice to ourselves. Yeah. There's like actually something going on in our body that's changing. Again, there's research when a mother is breastfeeding, oxytocin right. is released. When a mother is holding their child and yeah. has that soft touch, oxytocin is released. And I want to add to what Dana is saying, you know, a lot of times in meditations, you'll hear a facilitator cue, like put your hand on your heart and your hand on your stomach. And that is a self-soothing position where you're holding yourself and hugging yourself the way, you know, it would feel to maybe hug someone else or like that you love and that you care about. And that's going to fire off oxytocin. We know, and we've been able to prove that if babies are not held around the time of birth, they can die. They need that oxytocin to to thrive. We still need oxytocin to thrive. It just, it changes as we get older. And ultimately the way, you know, when you're a 15, 16 year old, and let's say your mom compares you to your sibling, I'm just thinking of an example, and you know, you flip out and you curse at your mom and you know, you, you can't do that when you get older and your boss compares you to another employee. That well, is, you can, but there's you could. There's a consequence. severe consequences. <laughs> Right. And so teenagers, they act out more because they, they have all these hormones going off. They don't have a super developed prefrontal cortex. They don't know how to like, it's almost like 
they just have a lot going on. They're very overstimulated. They don't have like a matured response driving the wheel. But as we get older, get these chemicals a little bit more balanced and we learn how to take care of ourselves and how to eat healthier and, you know, all these things. So in that moment, if you're at your job and you know, your boss says something and it triggers this like jealousy or frustration or anger. Again, you can use this whole technique. You can be mindful that you've been triggered. You can have self-compassion because wow, like this just took me back to 16 years old again and I'm feeling what I felt then. And maybe you don't have a ton of time to process that at work. So you go, I'm going to think about this later. Maybe I journal about it, or I'm going to just take a nice walk on my break and just let myself relax a little bit because I'm really dysregulated right now. That was like mindfulness, self-compassion and self-care all wrapped up in a bow. You got it guys. (laughs) That's how it works. Yeah. So we would love for you all to DM us at the mind grind podcast on Instagram to let us know how you practice self-care or self-compassion or how you plan to start to incorporate it into your life. Yes. Find the time. Coming on wines to the mind grind. To connect with us, share ideas, comments, or questions. Find us on Instagram at the mind grind podcast. 